in the intro. I mean, I can do it if you want. It's your podcast, though. You do it. All right. Welcome back to the Oklahoma Drill. This is your new host. I'm taking over. This is Sam Davis because Alex Purdy hates doing the intro. Alex, what's going on? Not much, man. I appreciate you doing that for me because yeah not a fan of the intro especially the outro though the outro is like the worst part that's rough if you make me do that one i'll probably flub that one up pretty good so obviously notably missing is ryan he will probably be joining us midway through the pod that's true Um, he can close us out yeah so he can he can do the outro for us um so i don't know about you but i was having a pleasant wednesday evening um just you know there's been some some rain rolling through oklahoma recently it's pretty mild weathered right now it's very pleasant it's cooled off it's been it hasn't been 100 like all week so that's been kind of cool you know i was having a pleasant wednesday evening just hanging out and then i got on twitter and How, how all great stories start yeah so i just happened to see a tweet um and if you follow me on Twitter, you will have seen my reaction to this already. But um, I saw a tweet from an OU account that was, you know, it had a clip of Joel Klatt talking about Lincoln Riley. And I, uh, I was quickly triggered and I got pretty mad online for a little bit. I don't normally do like threads on Twitter, but I, I couldn't resist myself on this one. So um, this was a video of Joel Klatt talking about head coaches that call their own plays and talking about how he loves Lincoln Riley, but he, you know, basically saying that he doesn't think you can win a national championship if you call your own plays. And he goes on to say that he think Tom Herman is the blueprint that you should follow as a football coach. Um, and that's fucking stupid is really where I'm just going to start with your that. Your head coach should be offensively inept. Correct. Just here. Yes. Um, so like my initial thought is like, he throws out this stat that since 1990, only two head coaches that call their own plays have won a national championship, which that is a true statement um steve spurrier and jimbo fisher call their own plays and they both won national championships and he says otherwise it's the guys that are the ceos that win the national titles and my response is just the fact that there are literally more coaches that are ceos correct in college football there are just more of them there are more coaches that don't call their own plays than there are guys that call their own plays. So no fucking shit. There's going to be more coaches win a national championship that don't call their own plays. It makes sense. It's just fucking math. I don't know why Joel is missing this point. It seems fairly obvious to me. And he talks about Lincoln Riley. You know, he's like, he's a great football coach, but I, he just, I'm not sure he can get the job done. And to me, what makes me mad about this the most is that if you're someone that's just watching this and you don't pay attention really to like OU specifically, it can make sense because there are coaches in which this is an example. Like Mike Leach is a really good example of a guy 
probably not going to win a national championship because he doesn't give a fuck about defense and he calls his own plays and it's really just his thing. Offense is what he does. And to me, it makes Lincoln Riley seem like a younger Mike Leach. And it would be easy to see that as he was a guy who coached under Mike Leach and that's like his mentor. But that isn't taking into account anything that has happened at Oklahoma since Lincoln Riley's been the head coach. And to me, that was like perfect illustration of that is last year, Lincoln Riley fires his defensive coordinator and then he takes it upon himself to keep that defensive class together. We had one decommitment in the entire class on the defensive side of the ball. And that was almost entirely because of Lincoln Riley. Like that dude gives a shit about defense. And to me, that's the only situation in which I think that calling your own plays can be a negative negative is if you have a coach who only cares about that. If all he cares about is offense and doesn't give a fuck about his defense, then yes, it can be a problem, but that is so clearly not the thing at OU. That's why I was so triggered when I was. And the other thing is that he's literally been doing this for two seasons. Like, that's just, how can you already make this judgment? You, we haven't, there's a reason that Lincoln Riley is so highly coveted by the NFL. Like, we haven't had a head coach that's a play caller similar to Lincoln Riley in recent memory. Right. Well, Lincoln Riley legitimately, like, the biggest thing Lincoln Riley's run into these last couple years is the fact that, like, I mean, we got pretty unlucky in the Rose Bowl. Let's just put it, you know, say it like it was. Like, there is a lot of scenarios in which OU would have won that game. Like, you play that game 10 times, OU's probably winning seven or eight of those games. And we just happened to lose that one game. Last year, we just happened to play a ridiculously good Alabama team. Like, that's the problem. It's the fact that OU hasn't won a national championship in the last, since 2015, because Clemson and Alabama both exist. And those two teams are operating at a level that really no other college football team in history has operated, specifically Alabama, especially with the the length of their run. Like, nobody's ever done that before. And Clemson is operating on that level. They're just earlier in the process. So, like, that's the problem. Like, there are not very many coaches in the country that have won national championships, and there are not very many coaches in the country that can win national championships right now because of guys like Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney, who, yes, neither of them call their plays. But if one of them decided, you know, fuck it, I'm calling my plays this year. Like if Nick Saban decides, you know what, I'm going to call the defense this year. Do you really fucking think that that's going to have an impact on Alabama's opportunity to win a fucking national championship? Get the fuck out of here with that shit. There's no fucking way. Yep. I refuse to spend any more energy on it because I think that it's we like we all know Joel Klatt. We've seen him defend OU, defend the Big Twelve for years now, and I think this is just some bullshit conjured up by the evil higher ups at Fox that like say some inflammatory bullshit. Especially go on Colin Cowherd and say some inflammatory bullshit. Like Cowherd has this fake beef with Baker Mayfield that just like keeps them both in the news because he says shit about like a passionate fan base that is baseless. And then it's even better with Baker because Baker has like the charisma to go on his show and then fire back at him. And so I'm sure it was something like, Hey, just come on 
whatever the herd and say something about Oklahoma. Like if you say something about Texas, you say, you know, I just really don't believe in Texas this year. Like that's, you're not going to go viral on Twitter. You're not going to have a bunch of, you'll have a few Texas fans, but like you will not go as viral as something like that. Talking about Lincoln Riley, about a team that's been in the playoffs with third most times since it started. Like this, I think it's all just bullshit that Joel Klatt finally fell victim to like having to play the game over at Fox. It still pisses yeah. you off. Don't get me wrong. Right. Well, can I, I, I feel like, and this is going to go into another thing that's been bothering me. Um, I have a problem with Texas, obviously. Um, you know, they are OU's biggest rival and they are like moderately, moderately relevant again for the first time in like 10 years. So they are like, fresh on my mind and it's kind of bringing in how much I hate them and my thing is that the national media seems pretty high on Texas overall and I think that Joel Klatt is no exception to that either Um, like I know Bruce Feldman's super high on Texas I've definitely heard Joel Klatt talk about how Sam Ellinger is the best player in the Big 12 and to me, I think that this could have stemmed from the fact that, like, Joel Klatt is probably really high on Texas this year. And, like, when you have opinions like that, you tend to try to justify them. And I think that this is a way that he justifies that decision to be high on Texas. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know if it's like a, you know, Fox telling him to say something stupid. But, like, I think it might just be his way of justifying a shaky opinion if we're being honest um and i'm just that's best case scenario for our good (laughs) right yeah and i just to continue with my texas thing the uh sp plus uh projections came out today from bill Connolly at espn um i really miss the ampersand it doesn't roll off the tongue like the ampersand is in my heart Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, added a, a wild Ryan Maxey to the yes. show. You know, act like he's been there here the whole time. But I remember, did I see on Twitter, oh, I think Bill said that you can say it however you want. So you can still call it S&P Plus. He just has to type it as SP Plus. So gotcha. I refuse to call it anything else. No, it's, it's S&P Plus. SP Plus doesn't make any sense. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Thinking that Sam Ellinger is the best player in this conference is just bananas. Like, what yeah. a terrible opinion. Yeah, and, like, I've just been really frustrated lately. And, like, I was really happy that the S&P Plus, and they, these have kind of been out there. Like, they weren't hidden. But, like, they came out through ESPN, so it's a good time to bring them up. And Bill Connolly's formula has Texas at number 31 in the com- or in the country which is third in the conference behind, obviously, OU at number five. And, of course, the beloved Oklahoma State Cowboys, I believe they were at number 22. Um, So, obviously proving that I was – I'm probably going to be right about my Big 12 picks, (laughs) if we're being honest. Because TCU was like three spots behind Texas. Mm -hmm. That's pretty close. And I think Texas has to play at TCU. So, I'm going to go ahead and count that as well. Um, so I honestly, I'm just, I'm like preemptively embarrassed for the national media people that are picking Texas to win the big 12 
And like heaven, if you pick Texas to make the fucking playoff, like I'm sorry, no, you that's just, a disaster. That is a need, disaster. Of an you need to reconsider the fact that you cover college football. Like I just, right. I cannot let that go. And I'm just, I'm ready for the season to start so I can be proven right about this because I'm t- like, they're going to disappoint. They do it every time. They've done it for 10 years. Yeah, I can even I can excuse like picking Texas as like a Big 12 contender. But like, how have you watched Tom Herman coach football teams and thought, yeah, this team has the consistency to make it to the playoffs. This team will get through the year without losing two games. They just won't. They absolutely no. won't. They and won't they... show up to a game that they think doesn't matter and then get their ass kicked. Right. And they fuck. They might beat LSU in Oklahoma like they could do it like they have the talent to do it. That's what Tom Herman teams fucking do, but they're going to lose to Iowa State. They're probably going to lose to fucking Baylor or somebody at home or OSU. They're going to lose to OSU at home. They always lose to OSU at home. Like, it's going to happen. That's what Tom Herman teams do. Like, get the fuck out of here with any other any other take. That's the only thing I will accept, all right? Um, okay, we don't have to talk about Texas anymore. <laughs> We'll get to talk about them until plenty. we preview their game against Louisiana Tech. That is right. Yeah. Well. Okay. So let's go ahead. Uh, do you want you want to talk about Week Zero, or we could talk about the fact that oh, you play a football game this weekend, and we're excited. We gotta talk about Week Zero because Florida week Miami zero. has to be remarked upon. Oh. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I enjoyed the hell out of the game. It was a bad football game. It was like, incredible. It was so it was, bad. It was, it was peak week zero. Yes. Right? It was about 30 minutes before the game started, I discovered that Miami was going to be starting a freshman tackle and a redshirt freshman tackle. And yeah. knew that beautiful things were going to happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there were probably about 10 snaps during that game that the left tackle for Miami just didn't move until the defensive end was already by him. Right. Like, honestly, I'm surprised Florida only got 10 sacks out of the game because that was one of the worst offensive lines I've ever seen. Like the only one that like comes to mind is that 2016 Louisville offensive line at the end of the season. Oh, yeah. That just was determined to kill Oliver Jackson. Yeah, that one. 2018 Florida State has some things to say. Oh, Florida State's up there, too. Florida State's up there. Um, but yeah, it was just hilarious. And the fact that Miami made it a game, like Florida should have won the game by like 28 points. They were that much better than Miami. Yeah, that, that was the most frustrating thing as someone who bet on Florida minus seven, <laughs> thinking that was a lock. And yeah. it should have been like Florida, like you said, Florida should have won by 20. I think Bill Conley tweeted out that the like swing of points margin based on off turnover luck was like. 14 to 17 points, I think. Right. Well, there were like five fumbles in this game and Miami recovered all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was the thing is that Florida was aggressively bad at recovering fumbles. Like Bill Connolly is like, yeah, I, I'm huge on fumble luck and everything, but even that doesn't really explain what the fuck is going on in this game because There were multiple times where a Florida guy would be laying on the football and it would just pop out from under him. Right. Like that that doesn't happen very often. Right. Specifically, just like, yeah, four times in a game, like that's crazy. Right. 
That plus just an astonishing lack of discipline on defense. It was incredible, which I understand uh, because um, when you're just racking up sacks like you're like they're on clearance at Target or whatever, um, I can understand getting loose because uh, I like at times basically any play in that game where Miami had the ball, Florida's defense either looked unstoppable or completely like irrelevant yeah well i i don't know why miami like really their most successful play was just you know giving the ball to dj dallas in the wildcat like he had that long 50 yard touchdown and i truly believe if miami had done more of that they would have won the game right because florida Florida did not seem to have answers yeah Yeah. florida was not disciplined enough to like handle weird looks like florida wasn't even really disciplined enough to handle blockers releasing into like the pattern but they just and and this really i think is gonna provide a window into the future of this particular miami staff is did you guys see who um is it dan enos is that the offensive did you see whose fault he said it was i did not he said that like at least five of those 10 sacks were definitively um jarell edwards fault is it evans edwards what's his name who are you talking about the quarterback yeah jaron williams Williams. oh i was way off yeah (laughs) way off yeah yeah, that at least half of the sacks were directly Jaron Williams' fault. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I think that there is some truth to that, but, like, there were also several plays that weren't sacks because Jaron Williams was able to get out of right. the situation a right. little bit. Like, so it probably balances out. The yeah. fact is, Florida well, yeah. was in the backfield every fucking play. Right, It's but the point is, like, you're looking at a team that um, – at a redshirt freshman quarterback with two essentially freshman tackles um, mm-hmm. that made it a game against a top 10 opponent. Yeah. I, I want to s- that. Go ahead. And it was the quarterback's fault really. When you think about it. Right. Yeah. Well, Felipe Franks. Oh my God. Is, just we're going to have a take. He's ass my dude. He was, just an encapsulation of that entire game. Yeah. He <laughs> just so bad and so proud of being bad. I loved it. Yeah. Like he would make, he can make some good throws, but then he can also like run out of a completely clean pocket and then, or like they get a, what should have been a game winning stop. And he immediately throws just a Why did they throw the freshman ball? interception. Yeah. Why did they throw the ball at all? Yeah, he's oh, man. he's impressive to watch. Do you, do you guys remember the direct quote? Do you guys remember the direct quote Felipe Franks gave to the camera like right before I think it was after the touchdown drive to put them ahead and then his next drive out there throws a pick. He he like the camera was on him on the sidelines and he said something along the lines like I do this. And he was like yelling at the camera <laughs> yeah. about how good he is at football. And then immediately. Yeah. Oh, he, he did punt the ball into the stands to celebrate the end of a game. He basically almost lost. Yeah. The, that he was a call, not a called off pass interference call in the end zone away from giving up. 
Yeah. Well, think about what if Miami hadn't missed that field goal that they missed? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <sighs> like, they all they would have had to do at the end of the game is kick another field goal, and they win the fucking football game. Right. Or if Miami doesn't muff a punt inside their own 20. Like, Which obviously I there are things that, that Florida point. screwed up. Oh, I was ahead. very convinced at that point that Florida's punter, like, should probably be on, like, the September Heisman watch list. But he was <laughs> definitively the most valuable player in that game. Yeah. Yeah, no, and Miami's punter was was not great. He was okay, but, yeah, he had a couple just kind of short punts. But, um, all right, so that's enough on that. Like, I guess last thing I found it, I found the quote. Felipe Franks yelled, I do this, so stop playing with me into the go. camera. <laughs> then he then he throws a pick and finished the game with a 38.6 QBR. So Absolutely. that's he Felipe Franks does that. Yes, he does. Right. Um, I just want to talk about the hilarity that was Miami's last possession. Oh yeah. Um, oh. because they were in a fourth and 34. They had an interception that got down to the 25 yard line. Then they had a penalty that put backed it up to the 40. Then they had another penalty right. and they wound up in a fourth and 34. You think, Oh, it's over. They throw a pass short of the sticks because, of course, like Jaron Williams is not going to have enough time for right. guys to get 34 yards down the field. Throw a pass short of the sticks, and the Florida guy just decides, I should tackle the guy before he catches the ball. And that keeps the drive alive. And we have, I think, there were three pass interference penalties on that last drive. Yeah, like, so, It was yeah, beautiful. So that happens. And then the, ne- like the next series of downs, it is fourth and 12, and then it happens again. Yep. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. I was really like that one in the end zone was not pass interference that they like threw the flag on initially. Oh, but I was cheering. But so I was. Yeah. Screwed up. Oh, yeah. That would have been amazing. Oh, that would have been incredible. Um, but anyways, that was Florida, Miami. Apparently, Hawaii, Arizona was really entertaining as well. Did you guys Cole see McDonald? the end of it? Yeah, That's the, I did. Yeah, I saw I watched the first half in the end. Like that was Kevin. Someone's in trouble. Like that guy's not going to be the it's catcher a next year. It's, it's a challenging position. It certainly doesn't look as good as his job as Herm Edwards. So ugh. no. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's rough. Yeah, um, man. Watching a guy named Manly Williams chase <laughs> Khalil Tate down the field to make a game saving tackle. Yeah. Yep. And he just absolutely plowed. And that was that was great. What's funny I think I can't remember. This might be a shutdown full cast stat, which is shocking that I heard actual football on that today. But Cole McDonald, you know, he everyone loves him. The hair with the the blonde dreadlocks, it is a look. Um, threw four touchdowns and four picks and got benched and is currently the leader, the leading passer in the nation in QBR. <laughs> like the guy that got benched and won his game is the leading pastor in the country right now that is all you need to know about how dumb week zero was i think it was jason kirk who said it best on twitter that was like you talk about video game numbers those are actual video game numbers that's what it looks (laughs) like when you play football video games absolutely um i didn't realize you you just gotta feel bad for you just gotta feel bad for khalil tate though yeah 
Yeah, it sucks that he was like the most exciting football player in the country two years ago, and then now he's being coached by Kevin Sumlin. That sucks for him. Right. It makes. It remember makes when he was no almost. Sense. Remember when he was almost coached by uh, Ken Niamatololo and yeah, uh, complained about it on Twitter. Yeah, he basically prevented that from happening, which right. is pretty impressive that they right. let that happen. So, um, yeah, no, it's pretty pretty crazy, man. Uh, OU plays a football game this weekend. They do, they do, and on Sunday, which is weird. Weird that it's happening on Sunday. The good news is. You get to sit around on Saturday and watch all the other games happen. That's true. And then Sunday we get our own day. So that's that's kind of cool. Right. Um, how are we feeling about this game, guys? Um, I really don't feel too bad at all. Same. I am. Um, yeah, I don't know. Obvi- I, I, there is certainly a part of my brain that is screaming about the hubris of feeling this good about an opener against Houston. But at the same time, nah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I think the fact that it happened before like decreases the chances of it happening again because, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, math. But... I feel essentially the same as I did last year before the Ford Atlantic game. And that is, I have zero idea of what to expect from this football team. That's true. That's also true. And I think that we are playing a team that is perfectly capable of beating us if we play horrendously and giving us a game if we just play like, okay. Right now, we came out against Ford Atlantic and beat their ass, and it was great. But if we don't come out and play well, I think it could be a game in the second half, and that's definitely not what I want to see. That's true. Here's an interesting stat and something to consider, certainly on Sunday as it's happening. Um, Houston is, according to preseason S&P Plus, essentially a perfectly average team. In fact, if they could be said to be the worst above average team in the country per S&P plus. Really? Yeah. yeah. What's they're crazy current, about Houston. Here, keep talking. Keep going. Yeah. They're, uh, their S&P plus rank in terms of adjusted points per game is 0.3, which is one rank above Marshall. They're 70th. Marshall is 71st. And Marshall is negative 0.2. Wow. So, yeah. They are the best, worst team in the country with a positive uh, adjusted points per game per S&P+. Plus. Okay. That's, yeah. that's, a pretty, that's a good stat. What's so weird is, like, last year they were... They finished the season 64th and they had, like a huge disparity between their offense they were in defense. They were 20th in offense and 106th in defense. And this year, that disparity, like, it is just increasing in both ways. They're projected to be the 11th offense, but now the 118th defense. Yeah. So they're still sitting around the same, the same <laughs> overall ranking, but it is expected to be a lot more interesting, I think is what this right. is saying. Um, I think that this... I mean, they're certainly going to present an interesting challenge to both sides of the ball, I think, because, well, on the one hand, they're like they're not going to be a 
be pushovers on offense, right? Um, right. And so, like, the new Grinch defense is going to have work to do. Yeah. At the same time, like, OU's offense should, theoretically, light them up. And if they don't, we'll have stuff to talk about. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Because, you know, the past, you know, let's say three years offense, you would expect to just be able to score at will against this Houston defense. Um, So if that isn't the case on Saturday or on Sunday, you know, I think you're looking at either a quarterback issue or an offensive line issue or just, you know, overall just out of sync issue for first game. Um, But I I mean, obviously, the more interesting side of the ball to talk about is what's going to happen on the defensive side. Right. And, you know, I think all of that, you know, I guess 90 percent of that stems from the fact that De'Eric King is a really good quarterback for Houston. Like he's, you know, a returning starter that, you know, threw for 36 touchdowns, only six interceptions last year. And he's also a really good athlete that will give your, your defense fits with his legs. So um, I think that's where the most of the intrigue comes from. Um, do, do we have De'Eric King thoughts? Like how big of a concern should he be? I think with Grinch's defense, I I'm not necessarily too concerned about him. I think, you know, we'll we won't be our D line won't be sitting back a lot and letting him do his things. Kind of like how I thought you had to attack Kyler Murray last year. You couldn't, you know, he's a fast guy, so you don't want to like come at him and risk, you know, people getting out or getting too sucked inside, and then he gets outside of you. So a lot of teams you would see sit back on Kyler and just let him pick people apart from the pocket. I don't think, like, I think you, you come after Derek King, and I think that the way the defense is set up, or as far as we know how it's going to be set up, I think, like, Neville will get a lot of interior pressure coming at him, and so I'm yeah. not necessarily too worried about his athleticism being a problem. Is there any doubt in the world that Mike Stoops's strategy in this game would be to, like, drop eight on every play? Absolutely. Just try to make Absolutely. him beat him, yeah. beat us with his arm. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. God damn it. Um. <laughs> no. Uh, that's no. That, I mean, that's what Mike did all the time against mobile quarterbacks because yeah. I think he forgets um, most of the things about this sport. <laughs> sometimes I feel like he forgets that there's. Um, I love that we're back to doing my favorite thing on this <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Uh, every sometimes pod. it. Sometimes it feels like he forgets that there's a first down marker, and sometimes he f- it feels like he thinks that offsides works like it does in soccer. Right, yeah. Um, sometimes both. It's incredible how sm- little of the field his defenses can guard when he really tries. Um, okay. I, I'm done. I'm done. I love surely it. we're going to – surely by this time next week we'll have so much to talk about with Grinch's defense that we can stop mentioning his name. Um. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll try to have a Mike Stoopsless podcast after after this game. Some, but. We'll see. No promises. <laughs> It'll come sometime this season, I'm sure. Um. But yeah, no, I definitely think that um. It's going to be. I think it's certainly going to be a good test for the Grinch defense. I think it's going to be a good test for the philosophy. Um, mm-hmm. the idea of like do your job and then flow to the ball because like part of a mobile quarterback is like understand like this is where the ball is I must get to it um, right. 
more than you know more than even in most things because there's just an extra place for the ball to be um so i think that like it'll be a good test of like has has this mentality set in like are they going to be able to engage with this successfully um i have hopes yeah well and theoretically you know houston is you know with the guys that we have on defense and with the scheme Houston is not a bad matchup for what we want to do because, you know, I look at the defense and there might be issues, but I do not think of our defense as a slow defense in terms of just the athletes that we have all over the field. Um, Now, whether or not we're able to tackle in space, that remains to be seen. We haven't seen that in a while. Um, And this is going to be a big test because, I mean, we're playing, it's a Dana Holgerson offense. He's going to try to find a mismatch somewhere. And if he does find that mismatch, he's going to go to it over and over again. Yep. Like this is the guy that called the plays that got Tavon Austin over 300 yards rushing at a position that he re- never really played before. So he's right. going to try and find something. And if it works, he's not going to stop doing it until we stop it. Yeah. Dana to me is a really interesting character um, because I mean, you just look at his career and like, he's probably coached against OU uh and like called plays against OU more than like almost anybody um yeah Mike Gundy probably the Gundy, only other one and then like well Snyder but he's retired yeah um yeah so and then you got Dana who's this weird journeyman yeah and you know in spite of all his experience has he I mean I don't remember Hokie's record against Texas Tech in the early to mid two thousands, but uh, he never beat us. He never beat the Sooners at West Virginia. Yep, or Oklahoma State, or Oklahoma State. So, yep. yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if he's beaten OU since the days of like Graham Harrell. Yeah, he. Yeah, he doesn't have a good record against <laughs> Oklahoma at all, and like he's also. He's kind of one of those guys that, you don't know, he had some things to say about the fact that OU didn't release a depth chart or anything, you know, mm-hmm. so he's, you know, he has a record of, you know, talking a little bit about OU. I remember the, I think it was 2016 when we had the deal at the middle of the field and right. he was vocal about that, about the class of the program. So like, there's a good history between OU and Dana Holgerson, like, and like, yeah, he hasn't beat OU since his time at Texas Tech. And, you know, obviously it's it's probably something he was like, man, I get to get a, get, get a, out of West Virginia, go back mm-hmm. to where I'm comfortable in Houston. And then, oh, shit, I have to start my career at Houston against Oklahoma. God damn it. That's basically I mean, that's how West Virginia's regular season ended last year was a game against Oklahoma. So, right. It's pretty unlucky for him. But um Yeah, so, I mean, it's just another intriguing factor of the game. But it's like, you know, he is a a brilliant offensive mind. Like, there's there's really no arguing that fact. And he has the quarterback, theoretically, to run his system pretty well. Mm -hmm. You know, probably not at the caliber of, like, a Will Greer, but, like, still a really dynamic quarterback. Um, So, it'll be be a big test for Alex Grinch and his guys – um, do we want to talk about like maybe some guys that we are, I don't want to do like impact players yet, but like, who are we most interested to watch on Sunday? Like, obviously we want to see Jalen hurts. No shit. 
Um, but are there other guys, just offense or defense, or you can throw out Gabe Burkich at kicker. I don't care. Um, <laughs> just let's throw out a couple guys that we're interested to watch. Um, we shouldn't dwell on Gabe Burkich, but it's, I mean, it's worth noting that it was against Houston that Austin Seibert had probably his uh, lowest moment as a Sooner. So just right. an interesting thing to watch for. Um, this is going to, I'm going to, I'll start with a relatively normal one. I just want to see what Buki looks like in terms of playing yeah. football. Like, is he starting? Is he starting? If he's not starting, is he coming in on third downs? Like, mm-hmm. what are we doing with one of the only five stars on the team? Well, that's not even yeah. true anymore. God. Um, well, on the defensive side of the ball. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. What is. are we doing with theoretically the most talented player on the defense? Um, right. Yeah, so that's one on the defensive side. Um, I have another, but other people can go. Sam? Uh, I really want to see Casey Kelleher, new long snapper. He's gone, see what happens there with that new. Adding that into see how Connor McGinnis catches those snaps and whatnot. Um, other than that, I, I'm i interested to see the O-line. Um, Houston's D-line, maybe not the best way to, like, see how these guys are going to look the rest of the season because they don't return a lot of players and lose the most obvious name in Ed Oliver. But it'll just be interesting to see, like, not even necessarily how well are these guys holding blocks, but, you know, what what kind of mentality are guys coming out with? Are you kind of, are, Is someone going to pick up the role of, like, you know, one personal foul a game like Cody Ford and Orlando Brown? Like, who's what are we, what's, what's the offensive line going to look like as a whole? Right. Uh, yeah. Speaking of offensive line, have we talked about the captains yet? No, we have not talked about no. the captains. Proud of Creed. Um, Proud of Creed. Um, what is it? It's Creed Humphrey, Neville Gallimore, Kenneth Murray, and who's the, other, the other one? Jalen Hurts. Wait. Wait. Yeah, Jalen Hurts. Yeah. For right. sure. So, so is, this, I was... is this a spelling disaster that Creed is for sure gone after this year? I mean, it's like a 95% I, chance he was gone anyway. But I, I think he's gone. I right. Unfortunately, because next year's offensive line could be like maybe the best offensive line we've ever had if he were to come back. But, mm. I mean, the guy, if he has the kind of season that, I, that they expect him to have, he's probably going to be a first-round draft pick, and that's just not – I mean, unless you go to Clemson and have Dabo brainwash you, you're not going right. to turn that kind of, down that no. kind of money. So, yeah. and a center isn't going to turn that down either because that's right. not the premier offensive line position. And like, yeah, yeah. no, I absolutely agree. Um, are are yeah. any of those guys someone that you think will look back and be like, man, he was a captain, really? Because like, there's there's sometimes you look back and you're like, oh, let's see, twenty was it twenty fourteen? Uh, Julian Wilson was a captain. I mean, it I might seem. It might seem kind of weird mid-season when our backup quarterback is a captain, but you know we've seen that before. <laughs> Jalen Hurts attempted um, like 120 passes in his career at OU and will forever be on Soonerstats.com as a team captain. Team captain, yeah. Um, I will say, Neville Gallimore is a weird one. Not someone you like. I don't think of him when I think of like leaders on this team. Yeah, uh, but I think that's like bodes well, right? 
Yeah. Really yeah. I think that, beats. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about how he's really upped his game in that department and just in general, but right. as a leader, he's kind of taken on a, a much bigger role than he has ever right. taken on before. Right. Like usually captains aren't the guys you take plays off. And so that's really, yeah. Um, yeah. Kenneth Murray also, and it's we, like, I don't know. It's a little easy to single out defensive guys. I like, I can, I, I can totally believe that he's a leader because he's been, you know, I mean, he was at press conferences, like representing yeah. the defensive side of the ball last year as a true sophomore. Right. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, if he doesn't up his game, like we're going to look back and say, wow, mm-hmm. what did he really do here? You know? Well, I I think if there's a guy, I mean, him and Neville are, are really good examples. You know, it's probably one of these two guys, but the defensive change is probably going to fit him better than anybody. Like I, I just, the more, I hear the more I think about what, you know, what he does well and what he's going to be asked to do in this defense. Like, I just, I can't believe that he's not going to have a good season this year. Like he is such a ridiculous athlete and he works so freaking hard. Like, I think he's a guy that in this defense is really going to take off and have an outstanding season. So um, yeah, hopefully it, you know, the, the captaincy is is a sign of, of things to come for him. Um, I want to go ahead and give a guy that I'm interested in. Um, I want to see. I want to see what the edge rushers do. You know, probably Ronnie Perkins is the guy that jumps out to be first because if I were picking a guy to lead the team in sacks this year, it's probably Ronnie Perkins because I just don't know what's going to happen at the other like rush in spot. Right. Um. And if it's John Michael Terry, he's not going to lead the team in sacks. It's just he might be an okay player, but he's not going to be a guy that gets after the quarterback a lot. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see what Ronnie Perkins is doing because you know he's a guy that when he got to OU, like he came in, like he was essentially maybe even a little bit bigger than he is. And I always thought he would be a guy that like gets big and bulks up and winds up kind of playing on the inside. But he's really kind of gone the other way, and he's under 250 right now. So, like, he's gearing up to be a legitimate pass rusher from the outside. So I'm really interested to see what he can do from that position and, you know, whether or not how much he rotates in. Because we have, like, that could potentially be a really deep position for us. But, like, we need him to be a a difference maker along the defensive front to go with Neville Gallimore. Right. Oh, I think that's an interesting one. Um I'll go ahead and throw my off-the-wall one out here. Um, I want to see Jeremiah Hall because I want to understand how we're going to use Jeremiah Hall and because, like, the question of how, like, how many snaps Jeremiah Hall gets, I think is going to, like, that's going to be a really good indicator of, like, what Lincoln is expecting to do with this offense with Jalen Hurts and these guys on the outside. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there there are certainly some there's some power run potential to this offense because, you know, like generally when you're breaking in a new offensive line, the run game is kind of easier than a lot, you know, a lot of times, like I know, like we talked about Miami's horrendous offensive line. They were much better in the run than they were against the pass. So Mm -hmm. maybe like, and these guys, this offensive line is going to be freaking massive. So like, that might be something that they lean on early, especially, you know, early in the season. And I think Jeremiah Hall being a guy that, you know, this is his third year at Oklahoma, so he's kind of been playing that position for a while. 
you know, that might be something that he really excels in and just being a really nice lead blocker for Jalen Hurts. Um, Sam, do you have another guy you want to talk about? Um, no, I'll talk about my, really the only other comment I have is for if we do X factor players later. So I'll hold on to it. I mean, we can do X factors. I was kind of, you know, this was kind of all encompassing to me. Okay. Well then, then let's just jump over into X factor players. Things. My guy is one we've talked about a bit. I've talked about him a bit, uh, but it is newly named captain Neville Gallimore. Um, I just think it'll be interesting to see. That'll be probably one of the the spot where we see the changes in Grinch's defense the most. Um, Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see Neville getting more athletic than last year and then being in this kind of offense, what kind of havoc he can wreck. Um, The thing with Houston, you know, we talked about the huge disparity in their offense and their defense, and that is also reflected in their returning production. Um, In offense, you know, this is through – Bill Conley's formula, so not just through, you know, total number of starts. In returning production, they return the 13th most on offense and the 126th most on an already bad defense. So that's why I think the offense is going to have no problems. But they do, so yeah, that, that returning production for the offense is high, but really the one place they don't return uh, starters is their interior of their offensive line. They lose their left guard in their center from last year and their center was a four-year starter um and their left guard was a two-year starter and an honorable mention for the american so like they that is where i think they're going to be the most vulnerable and i think that's where stopping derrick king is going to start is getting interior pressure from neville gallimore and hopefully it kind of jump starts an awesome 2019 for him yeah, absolutely. I mean, if Neville Gallimore comes out and has a, re- a really productive season, like, that guy could go in the first round. Like, he is that kind of athlete. Like, he's going to test ridiculously well at the Combine, and, you know, all he's lacking is production on the field. And I'm not sure that the lack of production is even remotely his fault. Like, that dude wound up was playing defensive end until this past season. Like, that dude should have never been playing defensive end. Ever, ever, especially in a two gap, like it was utterly <laughs> ridiculous how we were using him uh, really until last year. And even last year, you know, you're making him a two gap nose tackle like that's not what he does. So um, if he comes out and has a re- really good season, I could see a first round draft pick there. And I could also just see another huge indictment on our previous defensive staff, which we love. We love that. So um I guess offensively for me, a guy that I'm interested in, he's you know a pretty new guy. Um, and he honestly might not even play that much this week because we have Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks. But I'm really interested in Ramondre Stevenson because I think that I've talked about him before and I don't think it's impossible that he's our starting running back by like mid-season because I think he's a guy that is – kind of similar to Trey Sermon. He's a, he's bigger than Trey Sermon, and I think he's faster than Trey Sermon. And he doesn't have quite that same, like, you know, patient running style that gets Trey Sermon in trouble at times. Um, so I'm really interested to see if, if Ramondre Stevenson can bring that, like, physical aspect that Trey Sermon has, but with a little bit more burst at the line. 
Yeah, I yeah, I agree. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> thoughts? Um, yeah, don't have a lot to say about Ramondre Stevenson. I'm just I'm interested to see literally any any skill position guy in this offense. So yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I I. I think the thing about Ramondre Stevenson that is interesting is that running back is the spot where it's like, well, we're really probably not going to see, like, there is, like, it's the place where there is kind of a log jam, I guess, in terms of, like, you know, you can only hand the ball off to one guy. Um, you can put, you know, you can put um, C.D. Lamb and, Theo Weiss or whatever, like you can put those guys out on the outside, and you know one of the, one guy's going to make the reception, but everybody's going to play. With running back, like there will be decisions to be made before the ball is snapped as to who even gets to stand on the field. Right. Um, yeah. So like that's that to me is like the interesting personnel thing. Um, yeah. Absolutely. That's that's the biggest reason I'm hoping for a blowout, other than my own sanity, is just like see all of the running backs like see tj pledger and stevenson and maybe even marcus major a little bit towards the end see them all factor in um like see just get as many looks at as many guys as possible really all right sure okay so let's go ahead and just let's give a score prediction this is interesting you guys do you guys happen to know the line the line is currently so for this game it opened up at Oklahoma was favored by 29 points which was um, an insane line. It, yeah, it, it quickly got that in. Yeah, quickly got bet down and Oklahoma was favored by 26 and I guess it's still the the this new fall is pretty recent. It's down to OU being favored by 23 and a half. Interesting. Um so yeah, favored by 23 and a half over under total at 79. I'm not sure. I I honestly think that's a pretty good place for it to be. Um, and you know, it's funny because I was I'm feeling under, but the number I came up with earlier was an over number. So I mean, that's that to me is interesting. So I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm that, gonna that's I'm an implied off. an Let's implied score of about 52 Oklahoma to 28 for uh, Houston. So that's what that's what Vegas is implying. Right now for us, boys. Okay. I, I think it's a little... I'll, I'll go ahead and go. I think we'll be... I think we might be a little... Uh, maybe still trying to figure stuff out. Jalen Hurts hasn't been there forever like Kyler was last year whenever he got the first start. So I think maybe we have the potential to come out slow and then get it figured out. I'm going to say Oklahoma 52 and... Uh, Houston twenty-seven. Okay, um, so pretty much right where Vegas has it. Yeah, yeah they're bold. good. At, they're good at what they do. What can I say? Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna go forty-five, thirty-one, Oklahoma. Um, I think it's a little closer than you would like it to be. Um, but you know, I would feel pretty good about a fourteen-point win. You know, and scoring forty-five points in the first game of the season, I'd feel pretty good about that. And, you know, there's no shame in giving up 31 points to that offense, in my opinion. So I'd feel overall pretty decent about both sides of the ball if that were right. the, the scoreline, depending on how it all plays out. But right. I think um, 
I'm going to go with 41 to 24 Oklahoma. Um, I think I'd feel really good about, about that. Right. I, I think it's a, it's a situation where like, you know, Houston's going to score, but like, I think, and we're not going to run the score up on them because I think that the game is probably going to be over relatively soon. Um, like it might be close um, going to the halftime. It might be like within two touchdowns going into halftime, but then like, you know, depth will start to show itself and then like everyone will just be happy to go home. That's my prediction. Uh, 41-24. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, if our defense holds them to 24 points, like, I'm probably going to be flying high on the next podcast. Maybe 41-27. I don't really know. Um, I don't think they're... Like, I just don't feel like this... I I don't think Dana is going to be, like, too crazy about, like, keeping Oklahoma in this game that he's going to lose, right? I right. Think, I think there's a chance that he decides that it's, you know, it's time to throw in the towel relatively soon. Especially, like, in a situation, like, with a mobile quarterback, you don't want him to get hurt. You don't want to ask too much of him uh, in the for his first game playing in your system. To me, that spells, like, this is, like, the deciding moment is going to come sometime early in the third, and then we're going to play out time. Yeah. No, I, I think that that is that could easily be it. Like, I mean, and our offense might be uniquely. I mean, it's been uniquely good at you know playing out the fourth quarter, right. and you know we can just kill games. And it might be more, even more set up to do that this season. So right. I think like this. This is the thing that Jalen Hurts like became SEC Offensive Player of the Year doing. So right. No, that's absolutely true. Like he, they got a lead, and then it was him to you know run the clock out and the defense to keep the other team from scoring. Right. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I that would be awesome, man. I I am excited. Um, any I just last... think there's no way we don't drop fifty on that bad of a defense, and then I don't know. I'm I'm gonna Dana hasn't seen this Grinch defense before, so I'm gonna say we come out hot. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's also fair. Um, it's, I don't know. I just, I don't think Lincoln is a killer in these situations, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a guy that he knows, like, I don't know. Yeah. Right. You're probably right. Like it's, yeah. it can go a lot of ways. And I think there, there's definitely a chance that the final score does not tell the story, you know? Right. One of those right. Times at the, like at the same time, like you think about the way we're talking about this game the FAU game last year, <laughs> which like had every look of being the next coming of 77, nothing. Um, yeah. Yep. Well, and I, I would say that I, you know, people were higher on FAU last year than they are on Houston, Houston this now. year. Yeah. So That's yeah. Absolutely true. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe we come out and beat them 63 to 14 and we feel awesome. Like that would right. be great to do that on Sunday where we're the only game like that would be that would be a really cool thing to come out and make a statement like that. So, I, I mean, sure. Let's let's have that one. Um, OK, so I guess the last thing really on our agenda. Is to talk about some of the other games that are happening this week. Right. Um, Clemson is going to do dirty things to Georgia Tech on Thursday. I feel bad for what Georgia Tech fans are going to have to endure, like switching from a 
a triple option team to being just like a normal team. Like that's, that's not a change you want to make because oh, it's yeah. just, you don't now have your the personnel, personnel is so bad at what it's being asked to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like that to me is like enough reason to not go to the triple. Like I know that it makes sense for some schools, right. but like it's, if you once don't you're get, in it, you're stuck. Yeah. Like, if you don't get the right triple guy, then you're screwed. You're the next coach you have is screwed and it's, it's just not going to be a good situation. So, um, yeah, I feel a little bit bad for them, but yeah, I don't know who Georgia tech's starting QB is going to be because obviously they're changing offenses, but the guy who was, I assume their backup last year because he, he's the quarterback and was second on the team in rushing yards with 900 yards. He has attempted 16 passes last season. Yep. So, yeah, I, I don't think that guy's going to be the quarterback. And yeah, I, admittedly, I, say, I don't According know. to the internet, he is in uh, – three weeks ago, he was still in a battle for it. They're, they're looking at everybody. They got a redshirt freshman that was a uh, four-star. But you presume all these guys that were recruited are all triple option guys. So, Yeah, that's that's going to be rough, man. Oh. Um, so – I. We could talk about, I mean, OSU is going to probably destroy Oregon State. They're probably one of yep. the worst Power 5 teams in the country. Oh, yeah. And we've established that Oklahoma State's probably going to finish second in the Big 12. Um, yeah, it, and, it doesn't make sense. They're only projected to win by two touchdowns to Oregon State. I mean, why are people... And yeah, Oregon State's gotten a few... They've gotten a few transfers. Didn't Mike Riley bring some guys from Nebraska with them? I think they got well, like... I know they have Addison Gums. Yeah, they got Addison wow. Gums from us. I think they took Tyjon Lindsey, who's a Bishop Gorman receiver from Nebraska. Um, so, like, they have yep. some transfers, but, I mean, until Oregon State isn't Oregon State, right. they're going to be Oregon State. Yeah. Um, I'm telling like, if OSU gets the quarterback situation figured out, they're going to be a dangerous team, man. They're yeah. going to be a dangerous think, team. How, I'm almost certain both will play. How much do you think each will play on Friday? I think Drew Brown's going to play more. I think that if Spencer Sanders was going to like win that job, and he would have done it already. Yeah, if he were going to be the guy they thought he was going to be, he would already be that guy. I think that's fair. So I, I think been, Drew Brown's going to wind up being the starter. Right. Remember when Mike Gundy did a quarterback by committee with three quarterbacks? Sure do. <laughs> sure do. Oh man. Yep. And they still had a decent offense. Like yeah. it's they they yeah, do think, it well. Now he uh, they brought in the Princeton guy, right? I'm not making yeah. that up. Yeah, yeah. that's he's the, done the, some two quarterback stuff. Oh yeah, yes he so, has. So uh, just just something to think on. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And y'all, um, do you think do you think, think that Gundy decided to hire this guy? Like he 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 used the Yurkich method of he Googled. <laughs> you think he googled two quarterbacks football and I, up? <laughs> I think that's probably exactly what happened well if he yeah. if he googles now then he'll be happy because i think that hire is probably regarded as like one of the second best hires of the offseason oh, yeah it, like finished, it's so. it is such it is like i mean it's an absolute smart guy basketball guy oh yeah yeah hire, but like very good yeah right the, like the only guy i would take over him is bob stitt who i think is where is he right now? I would take him over Stitt because he's he's just a young up and comer guy, and Stitt might just be past it. You know what I mean? Because wasn't he like relatively unsuccessful where he was in his last stop? 
Uh, yeah, but that was Montana. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, who's going to win the Florida state Boise state game. Um, well, I just locked in my pick for Boise state to at least beat the spread. Um, I am actually, I, I feel fine about that. Um, cool. I, they could very well win outright. Starting a true freshman quarterback. Yeah, I'd say that's that's, fine. that's the only thing. But he is, you know, he was a good recruit, and you know they're a good, well-run team. They also lose their running back and their two starting wide receivers. Sean Monster was like an actual stud last year. So yeah, uh, but they do bring back their whole O line. It looks like. Mm-hmm. See, it's gonna be fine. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I think that will be real still at Florida State. Is that still happening? No, 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 no. He got kicked out. Oh, right. Man. James, James Blackman's their quarterback. He beat out right. Alex Hornibrook for the starting job. So, so. weird. So weird. Yeah. Which um, honestly, if he didn't beat out Alex Hornibrook, no, at that, that point, would be I would more troubling. State to win zero games. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right. Who's winning? Auburn versus Oregon. Who's winning that game? Uh, I got this Auburn. Is, this is going to be the best game of i think the weekend probably yeah uh it's gotta be so weird and dumb i picked oregon to beat the spread um which is super close um yeah but i actually think auburn might still win yeah i i'm gonna go with the athletes man i think auburn's defensive line is gonna be really good and i know oregon's supposed to have a good offensive line but i don't know to me it's like I, I, I'm doing the whole deal where I'm biased against the Pac-12, but yeah, I just they haven't played a lot of real football in the last couple of years, so I'm going to need to see that from Oregon before I'm able to pick them. Even though Auburn's starting a true freshman quarterback as well. There's a lot of true freshmen out there. <laughs> um, is, that, is that game at Jerry World? Where's that being played? It, I, hmm. I, I think believe... it's Jerry World. Yeah, I think that yeah, that is. I do that believe that it is. is. Yeah, I'll take I'll take Auburn by a touchdown, probably. Okay. I'm um, trying to find other interesting games. Let's see. Obviously, Texas probably going to beat Louisiana Tech, but would anybody be surprised if like they won by seven? No, yeah, I they're think I ahead think, to LSU. I've seen them play Kansas, so yeah, no, yeah, I'm not the spread. The spread is 21 for that game. And with all the shit that Terry Bradshaw talked, I think Louisiana Tech's going to be fired up. Um, Tom Herman <laughs> is not great as a favorite. So give me, I'll take yeah. the Louisiana Tech on the spread. All right. And last one is, uh, is there going to be a lot of anxiety in you at USC if with the Fresno state USC game this weekend? There's a lot of anxiety in my thumbs when I was picking it. I'll say that much. Yeah, it's so tough because, man, you. I really want Fresno State to win that, but they lose a lot. Like they lose their. I think they'll still have a good amount on their defense back, and their defense was like actually incredible last year. Right. You lose your starting quarterback. You lose your starting wide receiver, or your best wide receiver. You obviously have more starting wide receivers, but you lose your best wide receiver. Um. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. USC being favored by two touchdowns, though. Oh man, and it looks like uh, Fresno State is losing almost their entire offensive line. So that's yeah. great too. It's sure, it's, like surely we should expect USC to win this. But to me, the question, like the question about that, is like, what is the atmosphere around that program right now? Yeah. Like, 
Is it just 2013 Texas in there, just all up in that space? No, yeah, I don't know. Like eight games, but we don't have to right. talk about that. Yeah, um, I, I'll take I'll take USC by two touchdowns. I mean, they have absolutely no reason they shouldn't blow out Fresno State. Right. Yeah. Like Clay Helton's getting fired immediately if if they don't win that football game. Right. I feel like, or Which, he might not get fired then, but they will. It will be like pretty much. It won't matter what else he does this year if he can't right. beat Fresno State. Yeah. This is the program that left Lane Kiffin at an airport. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if it was an immediate thing. Yeah, no, I think that that is that's fair. Right, they um, might fire him at halftime. <laughs> yeah, USC has to win that, so I'll I'll take yeah. it. Yeah, they they have to win. And if and they, if I'm wrong, more then that's hilarious. Yeah, it is. It is hilarious, and they're they're just they're so much more talented. Like they're legitimately one of the most talented teams in the country, and you know. Yeah, I mean they're gonna trot out a five-star quarterback, like, and not just any five-star quarterback in wide receiver. Like, they were two of the top recruits in their class, and a five-star running back. Like, they have just literally too much talent. Maybe that's their problem. They actually have too much talent. And Todd yeah. Clay Helton said, "Todd Helton, former Todd. first baseman of the Colorado Rockies." <laughs> Clay Helton is just too stupid to know what to do with that much talent. Right. Oh, I mean, it's a problem that predates him, right? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Right. The only, the uh, only way you can handle that much talent is to bring in Ed Ogeron temporarily. Temporarily, yes. Yeah. It, it's really interesting to think about where they would be if they had just hired him. Right. Because I, I don't know if he's, like, LSU might actually be pretty good this year. Yeah, I mean, and... they're, they're number four in SP Plus right now. Yeah. They're going to beat Texas by two touchdowns. I can't wait for that game. That, if Texas wins that game, I will be very, very, very upset. Um, and I will be very sad. But I think LSU is going to win that game. And it's going to make me feel real good. Um, all right. So I think that that's a good place to close it out. Thank God Ryan is here to do right. our outro. I, I avoided the intro. You'll If you listen back... Oh, it, it felt a lot like, you know, how the old podcast ain't played nobody. It really felt like it was Bill Conley's podcast that Stephen Godfrey introduced him. Like, that's what it yeah. felt like for me to introduce Alex. Can I can I make a quick thing about the podcast ain't played nobody? Yeah. yeah. I haven't um, actually listened to PAP in a while, but go ahead. I, I enjoy the new format with Richard Johnson and Bud Elliott. I think it's good. I would be interested to hear them both on a podcast with Stephen Godfrey at some point. Yeah. I could not care less about Stephen Godfrey interviewing coaches from around the country, and I wish they would stop doing it. I do not care. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I, I was I was all right with the like quick fifteen minute ones at the end of an episode. I'm not gonna listen to the the Boise State head coach interview. Though, yeah, so. I just don't give a shit. Right. I don't care. Yeah. Like, and and the thing about it is that like Godfrey is a good coach interview. Like, yeah. Uh, like read the um. Like the proof of this is like read the piece on Banner Society about moving bowl season to week zero. But it's like the key to that interview is that you don't know who the coach is, so he can say whatever he wants. Like right, I, I, you can't get that on a podcast. So no. unless yeah. would you listen to the podcast if the coaches were anonymous and their voices were distorted? 
Yep, I would. Absolutely. <laughs> I will say that the interviews with Nick Rolovich at Hawaii. And That's the Sean, one I listened to. Yeah, that was I like that one. And Sean Lewis at Kent State was pretty good as well. Yeah. Well, I, I also have a problem is like, and I know that it's like, it's our fucking podcast saying it's me on this podcast saying that, but I really hate the audio quality of <laughs> some of those interviews and it bothers me. And so that that's another issue I have, but I don't know why I decided to complain about a better podcast to be honest, but I felt the need to do so. Right. You know, um, Vox was hiring a podcast editor for, um, uh, shut down full cast and podcast ain't played nobody. And in that moment, I really was saddened by the fact that taking direct inspiration from those podcasts, we decided not to care about audio quality. And I never actually learned how to do a good job editing. Yep. <laughs> that was, a, that was a moment of, that was, that was a sad moment. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Oklahoma drill. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, the Google play store or on Podbean. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Alex P. Purdy, at RW Maxi, and at Not That Sam Davis. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, share it with a friend, leave a five star review, uh, do both of these things. Who knows? Do whatever your heart takes you to do. Um, and we'll see you guys sometime next week to talk about what happened on Sunday um, and maybe have some insights for the season moving forward. Um, and with that, we leave you. All right. Glad we got it.